0: This is Women in PR, a weekly podcast about inspiring women that have embraced PR and made it shine, changing it for the better every day. It's about mentors, founders, researchers, role models, leaders. I am Anna Adi. Women in PR is brought to you by Quadriga University of Applied Sciences in Berlin and professionalpodcasts.com. Who takes care of the PR practitioners and their mental health? With an always-on type of work culture prevailing, how do we take care of colleagues? And how do we ensure that we, personally, can do both deep work and that we can disconnect to recharge when we need to? So we'll be tackling mental health in PR this week with Rachel Royal. She's the Communication Director of IBM's UK Healthcare and Life Sciences Division. Prior to joining IBM, her career covered mostly public sector. She's also a very active member of the Chartered Institute of Public Relations, CIPR, and a Fellow of the Institute for Internal Communication. So a lot of her work, public engagement and teaching speaks about PR's power and duty to do good, but also do well. And speaking of good we'll also talk ethics not codes of ethics but rather what to do when unethical behavior is seen and how to expel those practitioners and those practices Rachel thank you so very much for making time for me today welcome to the show thank you anna good afternoon Thanks. Um, thanks again so much. With with all the guests in previous shows, we started with an easy question, which is, um,
1: how did you end up in PR? So, it feels like I've been in public relations forever now, but I've been working in public relations for around about 20 years. And when I first moved to London from Stoke-on-Trent, which is kind of a northern part of the UK, um, I started and I did a theology degree. And then when I left university, I wondered about what I was going to do with my life. Um, So, I started to do marketing and public relations for local government. And from there, I then went to work for London Ambulance Service, where I um, did public relations for London Ambulance Service and that's what kind of got me into healthcare and into government communications. From London Ambulance Service where we got to do some quite exciting things because um, the London Emergency Services are covered all over the world so you get to cover all different aspects of, of, of public relations which is excellent and there's quite a lot of internal communications involved in London Ambulance Service as well. I then went into Central Government where I worked for the Department of Health and Social Care, the Cabinet Office and then for HM Revenue and Customs which is the agency that um, that collects tax in the UK? So that's that's kind of how I how I got into it, really.
0: But so did I get that right? You studied theology, and <laughs> that- from from theology, you ended up in public relations. What kept you here?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's quite interesting. As 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 I as I've um gone on, I've 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 met quite a few people who've studied theology and then ended up going into public relations and all that I can put it down to is just understanding different cultures and relationships and how people interact and being analytical. So there are quite a lot of parallels I think in terms of public relations theory um and public relations practice with, with, with theology. Um so so yeah, and I I I went on after after I did my theology. Degree. Um, once I was already working, I did my kind of postgrad diplomas in public relations with the Chartered Institute of Public Relations, and then my master's degree in, in in public communication.
0: Why Why did you feel the need? If you If you felt there was a need, why did you go back to study and and got your CIPR
1: diploma? I think I, I, I love learning um, and um, I think one of the things that I started to do that kind of put me in good stead when I did my very first public relations role is you were incentivized as part of the graduate programme to continue learning and to continue your education. Um, so for me, I just, I just enjoyed the aspect of learning and I enjoy the time certainly that when you're doing kind of a master's or even a diploma course gives you, you get time to go and study and research something that interests you that, might be connected to the day job, but it allows you to go into it into a little bit more detail.
0: So am I right in saying that you're still with CIPR so many (laughs) years after your diploma, you're still volunteering with them?
1: Yeah, I do quite a lot with the Chartered Institute of Public Relations and also the Institute of Internal Communications as well in the UK that's more focused on internal comms. Um, with the Chartered Institute, I'm um, part of the council. Um, so we have a council and a board set up. I'm, um, for my sins, I'm on the finance committee to help um, help us manage the finances. And then one of the things that um, is, is really, really enjoyable is I chair the Chartered Institute of Public Relations Health Group, and we reformed a new group at the beginning of this year so in January this year um, just specifically to help raise professionalism skills standards across the healthcare industry so whether or not people are working in kind of pharmaceutical public sector so we're we're trying to put a focus on people within that industry and to try and tailor some of the professional support that is available to people that work in healthcare specifically because I think they've got unique challenges.
0: What What do you mean by that? What would be the challenges that people working in healthcare comms
1: um, are facing that other industries might not? So, so my experience is in the, um, in the NHS. So in the UK, the National Health Service is obviously very, very bespoke. Um, we've got 1.3 million people who work in healthcare in, in, in the NHS in the UK. So it's one of the biggest employers globally. And I think unlike many other organisations, certainly any corporate brand, they aren't privy to the same political pressure that the NHS is potentially. So I think we've got quite a unique, unique set of issues and quite unique. Um, environment within which we operate and something like the NHS on one end it's you know the greatest gift um, to the public it's you know healthcare that's it, free at the, at the point of contact and um, but at the other end the media almost have a love-hate relationship with it in which every single day there will be quite a lot of negativity about change and about transformation and about progress in the NHS as well so it is, it's it's quite a challenging area to work in I believe. So
0: but when you're saying a million people working in the
1: NHS there's not combs, is it? <laughs> no, no, no. You've got a million. No, 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 no. That's that's that's, that's the whole workforce. So you know, in terms of within with you know the different types of people that you need to talk to, the different people that you need to engage. You've got doctors, you've got nurses, you've got managers, clinicians. So so it's the the, the internal communications challenge alone within the national health service is vast and you know critical really to 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 help in society.
0: So internal comms for healthcare. Um, particularly in the NHS. It's something critical. So what are, are you hoping to to provide um, to to these practitioners in particular as part of your work uh, in, in the council and the group uh, that you're
1: part of? So, so with the health group, what we've done is we've set up a, um, a strategy and we've set up a plan that we're going to be working towards. And the first thing that we've actually focused on this year has been around caring for people who work in public relations themselves. So many people um, who work in public relations um, have mental health um, issues. Um, A state of the profession report earlier in the year said that one in four of our colleagues had had time off work due to stress or mental health issues. So one of the things we've actually been focusing on is promoting health, wellbeing, suicide awareness and running campaigns to help improve and make employers aware of what they need to do to look after public relations professionals that are working um, within PR, that's not actually just within health, that's, that, that's kind of across the piece. So, we're, we're looking at the juncture where health kind of meets public relations and saying, what are the areas where we can really impact and try and make a difference?
0: So, one in four in the UK has taken time off uh, due to stress in recent years. that, that
1: is huge yeah yeah it is huge. It's huge. and it's slightly more than the um than the average um, population. so it it is it is worrying, but at the same time, I think it's difficult to know whether or not that that's um, symptomatic of of just the job or is that, you know we know that mental illness and mental ill health is an issue and in society, much more broadly, so it isn't it isn't just unique to our profession, and you know it could just be a reflection of some of the bigger bigger issues in society. So one of the things that we want to public relations people to start to think about is their mental mental health in in, in the round. So everyone at some point in our career or in our life will you know have ups and downs. It's like our physical health. Sometimes we'll be healthier than than at other times. But what do we need to be doing to kind of looking at looking after ourselves? So, I mean,
0: you said you started with the strategy. Do you already have some solutions
1: that you're promoting and proposing? Yeah, so for the um, for the mental mental health work, we started a campaign in August last year. So via social media and via a number of the different sector group meetings that we have where public relations professionals network and come together. We've provided some guidance that we've been working on with some public health colleagues, where it just gives some tips and some pointers for, um, for for employers of what they can be looking for and some of the signals and some of the signs that maybe they can be more conscious and more aware of that will then encourage them to have conversations with people within their team. So, what are those signals and signs? I'm I'm not going to let you go. I'm taking notes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm really taking mm. notes. Um, I think, as as you've pointed already out, that's a sh- huge number. Uh, it's above average uh, in in the UK, um, but beyond the the UK. Public relations professionals, you know, it's a it, it's a topic of, of interest. So, what are the signals uh, and and signs that practitioners should
1: pay attention uh, or pay more close uh, closely attention to? I think the big thing is changes in people's habits. You know, if you're kind of used to somebody coming in in the morning, taking a particular, you know, going having a break, um, going for a coffee, and then you notice changes in their behaviours where all of a sudden, perhaps. They They don't have time to go for lunch or they don't have time to go and take a break and take a drink to actually not just stop at saying, you know, do you want to come for a coffee? No, but to actually dig into that a little bit more and a little bit more depth and to understand, you know, is, is is there a reason behind that? Because one of the first things that seems to happen in issues where people kind of are suffering from stress in the workplace and the things that we do, like going for a walk, going and drinking, just looking after our physical health as much as our mental health is really, really important. And any signals and signs around that will indicate to an employer, to a manager or to a colleague that maybe it might be helpful if you have a conversation. And, it, and, and all of these things, it's very much, about you know making sure that you have conversations and you have good relationships that give people a kind of a sense of belonging in the workplace really early on before things get more serious and one of the one of the things we've we've just launched recently and we've just added to our continuous professional development for example is a 20 minute um, session that people can do around suicide awareness but that obviously is when people get to you know to a much much further extreme which you know we would look and hope to avoid so, how how did this entire concern
0: and focus uh, come about, uh, particularly with with CIPR?
1: One of the things that we did when we launched CIPR, we got a small group of really dedicated people together. And we said, in terms of um, the profession and in terms of healthcare, where do we think we can make a difference and what do we think we need to focus on? And I think alongside doing things um, that are in our plan next year for kind of setting up breakfast meetings with health journalists, for we've got ideas around sessions around behaviour change in healthcare and how we can improve skills around that, we actually said that one of the biggest areas and what is of the biggest concern because it came out in the state of the profession report was this issue about mental about mental health. So we said, well, since we are experts in healthcare and we have a number of people in the group who are kind of, you know, almost every year probably run mental health awareness campaigns within their um, corporations or within the organisations within which they work. We said, let's combine our our expertise, our knowledge, and our networks, and let's see what we can do for public relations professionals. So what do you think makes PR so much more stressful
0: than any, any of the other jobs? I mean, I, I, I don't want to be disrespectful. I go back to, to this number that you've indicated, you know, that one in four um, of people who've taken uh, time off due to stress, what is it that makes public relations so much more pressure prone than I don't know any any of our other colleagues in 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 the um, organisations and departments we we work with.
1: I think the first thing to say is that you know there will be um, a level of. Um, of, of stress in all of those places. And I suppose so, so, so I think perhaps there is an element of, you know, do we need to do more research to understand whether or not, you know, this st- the statistical variance, if you like, for public relations is so much more than some of those other professions? There probably hasn't been the amount of research to for us to look at that in a, in a, in a really detailed way. Um, but that said, my um perception and my experience of working in public relations is that public relations professionals at very early points in our career we actually provide advice at very very senior levels it can be quite fast paced and sometimes I think we have an unhealthy culture where not only are we expected to kind of work hard but there's that kind of play hard culture which can be okay for a period of time but actually you know that can result to burnout if people aren't taking time out if they're not taking time out with their families and all of those kinds of things I think added to that in recent years obviously you've got the fact that we are more digitally enabled so there is this culture of being always on and it, whether it's in our private life or in our professional life we see increasingly that our colleagues are taking breaks and doing digital detox and all of those kinds of things to help support them to take time out and to kind of recalibrate their own their own mental health and all of those things are kind of good actions to take to help to kind of um qualify where where, where you feel you are at in terms of your own own mental health and it's just getting people to be more conscious of their mental health and of, of needing to manage that in this in a similar way to what you would your physical physical health
0: so let's make this very personal how do you manage your
1: stress at work um, <laughs> that, that, that's, that's a good question that's a really good question um I, I think I'm getting much much better at this um as, as as I go on um one of the things that this isn't an, a direct answer but one of the things that I need to do more of is i definitely need to do more exercise and need to get myself get myself out more I think one of the things that I've started to do um, I'm started to be much more disciplined about my social media so I think it's helped me personally knowing and understanding the time that I spend on social media now because it's changed on your Apple phone it shows you how much screen time that you have and one of the things that I do and it's more home home life I think that's kind of helped me more with stress at work which is the discipline around, you know, the dinner table with the children, no mobile phones. We all put them in a box, you know, at, at dinner time and all of those kinds of things and making sure that when I'm spending time at home with my family and with my children, it's absolutely quality time that I'm spending with them so that I try and focus much more. I try and if I'm at work, I try and make sure that I'm focused and I'm focused at work. And when I'm at home, I try and make sure that I'm focused and I'm focused at home as well.
0: Do do you have this fine system when whoever reaches the phone gets to either put money in a I don't know in a savings account or
1: I guess you do the- <laughs> No, I physically remove their phones, so there's no there's no there's no danger of that. No, they all kind of get get put away. But I think I think the job that I'm in now, I think it's easier to do that. I think when I was actually a press officer, and you're kind of conscious that you're getting a phone call from a journalist at a particular time, or certainly, I think for me, when I was on call, um, that added an additional kind of kind of stress to me that felt i needed to reach for my telephone and i'm 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 actually better with that with age and i'm certainly better with that now that i don't have to do an on call press direct relations role because you know it isn't it isn't going to be that 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 urgent and i i i would imagine that if i was in more of an operational role then i'd i'd find that more difficult it's
0: interesting that you said the screen time app i'm afraid to put it on <laughs> <laughs> well, just leave it there. But I'm really afraid. I'm, I know about the option. I've spoken about it um, with with several people. I'm really afraid to put it on. So um, I'll I'll leave it as a note. Um, let's let's switch a little bit subject, um, but sort of stay within this realm of of technology. Because I know you've been publishing um, in in several books. Um, the one that I have here with me it's called Future Proof. Uh, and is edited by by Sarah Hall. And uh, in there you have a, a chapter called Doing Digital, um, and looks particularly at um, the public and, and patient interface in, in health through technology. Um, are, is, is PR well placed to, to amplify digital messages? Is, is this technology is, is it a good thing for
1: PR? Um, I think for, for, for me, one of the things that is really um, that I find fascinating and I find interesting about technology is that I think as communication professionals, we have an opportunity to be kind of a catalyst for change and we have the opportunity to improve things um, for, for, for society. And one of the things in terms of the advancement of technology, particularly in healthcare, is that it's been adopted at a much slower pace than other industries. So, rather than banking or um, you know finance, leisure, all of those kinds of things or entertainment, the pace of technology adoption in healthcare is slower. Perhaps it, this refers back to one of the earlier things that we were talking to in the sense that I think in some ways that the environment in which we operate in is much more complex. When people are sharing information about what they're spending their money on, they might be happier to share that information as opposed to information about their personal data and their personal health care. So I think The communications um, church, if you like, in its broadest sense, whether or not it's helping to amplify messages about technology or helping technology companies and people who are creating technology to better understand the public and better understand patients and to better understand citizens' needs, I think that we can really add value to the advancement of technology, which in turn can really help you know provide better insights into healthcare, provide better insights into helping to cure disease all of those kinds of things and and also into you know in, certainly in the UK how you book appointments and all of the convenience layers and levels of technology as well so I think we have a I I think we have a huge role to play but it isn't just traditional what we might be thinking of as traditional public relations I think it's internal communications I think it's marketing I think it is the whole communications mix that should be impacting and can impact on this area,
0: but um, I mean, you've you've quite rightly pointed out to the slower adoption of, of tech, particularly in health. Um, you pointed out to a couple of potentially scary scenarios. Um, I'm just I'm just thinking uh, data that can be correlated. I don't know between uh, patterns of disease and age, and therefore affects insurance or between, um, since we've spoken about mental health, uh, you know, patterns of exhaustion and, uh, I don't know, pay or likelihood to get admission on on particular services.
1: So, you know, where is PR in all this? So so one of the other things, the other... um um chapters that I've I've written and it'll be published hopefully um this month with Kevin Rook is around artificial intelligence and automation and internal communications. And one of the big areas that we touch on there is about ethics and around governance. So I think all of these issues that you've talked about, whether or not it's you know patterns in disease, etc., people are making judgments about these today, but they're probably not very evidence-based. And I think one of the things that we need to ensure that as we start to develop technology and as it starts to become more of an everyday um, an, an everyday activity in healthcare is one of our roles as communication professionals is to be the ethical um, mindset to help make sure organizations design technology in a transparent way and we help and support them around the governance of the development of technology.
0: So let me make this difficult for you. If, if I may, you and, and Kevin uh, wrote a chapter that looks at ethics, and you're very, very well aware, and that's, and, and that's great, right, through all your CIPR work of, of the UK environment. But a lot of these tech platforms, tech solutions are transnational. They they might be, you know, from a company perspective based under some jurisdiction, some national jurisdiction, but their application goes beyond that border. So going back to PR, how, how can we teach? How can we bring everybody, you know, on, on governance and ethics on the same level? considering that there's such huge differences around the world
1: yeah I think I think there are huge differences around the world but I also think there are huge similarities and um, I know that you know you, you you and I would both agree that you know as public relations and communications we are much better as a global network you know we we've, we've met in our relationship you know we, we we talk to people in Europe we talk to people in the US we talk to people globally about public relations practice and not only am I interested in raising the standards of what we do from a public relations Perspective in the UK, but I'm interested in how we do that globally as well, and how we interact and how we share best practice with our colleagues across the, you know, across the the, the geography borders, if you like. And you know, I think humans, I, I do think we're different. Of course, there are different um, governance structures for different countries, but I think again what we value and what we gain from talking to each other growing networks internationally sharing best practice internationally and also calling each other out internationally and kind of saying i'm sure there's been lots of commentary about different aspects of our election democracy likewise ours about the us about what is and isn't right what is and isn't correct and I think um, those conversations at a global level are incredibly important. And we need to make sure that we we continue to do that and we continue to break the boundaries down. How do we call each other out in a way that is constructive
0: and improves in, in, in goes back to what you were saying? PR would, would have a positive impact. Through its work on on society, how how do we do that? How really? how do we call out um these uh, these whatever we consider bad practices, but in a way that is constructive and and respectful and and does bring
1: change? I, I don't think we have this right yet. I mean, we can only see from campaigns like me too how difficult it is for people to kind of call out bad practice, whether or not it's physical bad practice or it's bad practice in the sense of what what people are hoping to develop or how people are developing things for the future. One of the things that I definitely find helpful and have found helpful in my career is that being a chartered member of an institute what comes with that in the same way as practicing um law or in the same way as you know practicing as a teacher or what whatever profession it is that you might be in having an ethical foundation and an ethical framework to refer back to and to say that as a professional this is my ethical th- th- this is my ethical line this is my ethical code of practice i find that incredibly helpful and i've i've referred to that i will refer to that several times a year in my job and in my role in terms of calling people out Unfortunately, I don't think we've necessarily got that right yet. I think for those of us that are members of professional bodies in the UK, whether or not it's the CIPR or members of the PRCA, there have been occasions where um, organisations and public relations agencies have been called out for poor practice or for practice that isn't unethical, that that is deemed unethical. I think the challenge with the technology is that we don't know what's going to happen next. And because it's evolving at such a pace, it's sometimes difficult for policy to kind of keep up with that. But I think through conversations that we have professional to professional, through conversations that we have from organization to organization, that's the way that we just at the moment seem to be able to push that push that forward. So
0: you mentioned codes of ethics uh, yeah. or, or codes of practice. One of the criticisms of all codes of ethics is that they're um, self-enforcing, right? So they're voluntary. Mm -hmm. And historically, one of the biggest criticisms, PR, the the argument of whether PR is a profession or not, uh, goes back to this voluntary aspect of the ethics codes. Um, How could we enforce that? So if if we want to dismantle that counter argument that PR is no profession because it has no ethics that you're bound to, there's no there's no oath. Um, how could we? I don't know. Uh,
1: can we disbar something? Someone? Can we expel them from from practicing? So, so, so you can at the moment through the CIPR framework. I think the issue is, is how often does that happen, and are the people who are practicing actually members of those professional institutes in the first place? Today, in the UK, we've got around about ten thousand members in the Chartered Institute of Public Relations, but the public relations industry is probably closer to sixty thousand. So, there's a vast number of people practicing who aren't members of a professional body. And I, I, I tweeted something the other day. There was a there was a case in the UK where. Um, Someone had edited out um, sound in a studio show in the BBC. And I kind of said, well, my, my, my tweet kind of read something along the lines of, if this was a tax professional editing a, a, an accounts or a doctor editing a medical record, it simply would be unacceptable and that person would be... Um, there'd be some kind of investigation, and the person who actually did that act probably would be would would be sacked. But in today's world, and in today's environment, that person was probably just doing a job for another person who'd asked them to do the job who'd 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 asked them to do the job. So there, there isn't a way today to actually act in that scenario and to take the right kind of action to ensure that it doesn't happen again. And I don't know what the answer is. I'm afraid. <laughs> I think that's scary. I mean, in, in a sense, it's great news
0: that, that CIPR has a way of, of sort of expelling members um, for, for wrong practices or whatever they deem to be uh, unethical mm-hmm. practices. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a great start. It's just maybe uh, going back to what you were pointing out as, as a global conversation, that should be rolled out as a, as a principle. Um, from CIPR to any national association that might be, I don't think it will solve the problem fully uh, because all all these associations um, do have right; they're voluntary and their membership uh, therefore is is an opt in. Um, but then maybe
1: it's education that that can help. I think we need to be in a position where employers and companies and organisations are employing people who are members of these professional associations. So, they are saying, I want to be an ethical company, I want to operate as an ethical company, so therefore in my PR and my communications, I will employ professionals who do voluntarily sign up to these codes of practice and i think that will be the key i think the key is around uh, is going to be around recruitment and the key is going to be around companies opting to use agencies that can demonstrate that they are that, that, that they are members who, who who uphold and who will practice in accordance with an ethical framework
0: we should write that down i actually <laughs> should write that down <laughs> so membership as part of uh, the recruitment process, which in which in a sense, of course, brings more more legitimacy um, and adds to the track record of of the person that you're hiring.
1: Absolutely, you wouldn't hire an unqualified or an uncharted accountant, I don't think, unless you know you wanted them to do a lesser job than a qualified accountant. So, you know, the same in a in a in a in a legal environment so i I think you know that if if we if we start to think of it more in that way the same with a doctor you know we need to think about it in terms of the levels and in terms of the layers and what our expectation is from organizations as well to behave ethically and to recruit people who are bound by an ethical code of practice okay well rachel our time is up Pretty really
0: <laughs> really did. i've uh, I've huh. taken a couple of things here. Speaking of um, well-being and and mental health, um, and particularly related to uh, to technology, i've uh, i'm I'm taking uh, taking a break uh, as a as a recommendation, as in calibrating the day, organizing it in a way that we can do deep work so we can disconnect uh, as well as then, Connect back. Um, I am taking your recommendation very seriously about the, uh, you know, technology in a box uh, at dinner time, and I have absolutely loved our discussion about ethics and about how essential it is to call bad practices out, even more than than writing up and and uh, joining these um, codes of ethics. So, Rachel, thank you very much for that. Brilliant. Thank you, Anna. And that's it already for this week of Women in PR. Next week, we'll go back to research and we'll be exploring the relationship between public relations and activism. We'll speak mostly about the postmodern PR practitioner that embraces an outside-in approach to comms and doesn't take for granted the view of the organization they work for. Our guest... Dr. Derina Holzhausen, the author of the book Public Relations as Activism, Postmodern Approaches to Theory and Practice. And currently, the Dean of the College of Fine Arts and Communication of Lamar University of Beaumont, Texas. It's a way of life, I tell you, a way of life. Women in PR is brought to you by Quadriga University of Applied Sciences in Berlin and professionalpodcast.com. To learn more about the show and my guests, do check out the show notes. And if you liked it, by all means, share it. If you have comments and suggestions, find me on Twitter and LinkedIn. My biggest thanks go to Migo Feke and Regina Kana, my team at professionalpodcast.com. Without them, this podcast wouldn't be here now. I am Anna Adi. Thank you for listening.